This morning we'll be in Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 19 through verses 23. Hear the word of the Lord. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this word. Thank you for the authority of your word. May it speak into our lives, into our hearts as it cuts deep this morning. Maybe it assaults our soul. As Pastor Wayne brings the message, I pray that our, our hearts are open, our minds are open, our ears listen. As we hear from the word of God this morning, may it transform our lives that we might walk in a way that is pleasing and in a manner that is worthy of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, Job said, I'm not God, but to go to him and argue my innocence, I need a mediator to intercede for me. Uh, That's the need we all have, isn't it? I mean, we're all without excuse. Ask any headhunter, do you want your head to be hunted? Absolutely not. Then why do you hunt the heads of others? See, we inherently know from the conscience instilled within us, none of us are righteous. No, not one. That's Romans 3.10. We're all guilty. We're all guilty. And you know what? There is no way, no way that we can remove that guilt. We need a mediator. Now, should we think that the basics that Paul covers in this letter are not all that important? I received an email this week from a precious lady in our church. Precious lady. And she's heartbroken. Because she said that her brother and his wife, who grew up in the church and who believe in God, no longer believe, though, in Christ. A pastor convinced them of that. A pastor? I mean, to do that, I got to thinking, this guy had to ignore 355 Old Testament prophecies that were fulfilled with 100% accuracy in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And not only that, he had to deny the rest of the veracity of Scripture. All the eyewitness accounts of the miracles that Christ did. I mean, he made the blind to see, the lame to walk, the deaf to hear. He made the wind and waves to obey. We even fed 25 to 30,000 people on two separate occasions, once among the Jews, once among the Gentiles, and did it by creating food on the spot. He even called forth the dead and their spirit returned from the unseen abode of the dead to their body. 
else has an authority to do that? This guy had to deny all of that in addition, in addition to explaining, and I would love to hear this from him. How do you explain the resurrection, how the resurrection transformed the lives of cowards who would be so bold they will die for the truth that they saw, they saw it. How do you deny the eyewitness accounts of the enemies of Christ? I mean, they verified his death, burial, and resurrection. They witnessed the transformation of his disciples. They saw how they could not be stopped, even under the threat of torture and death. How do you do that? How do you explain away the conversions of of both Jews and Gentiles? including a politically driven Pharisee named Saul of Tarsus. How do you explain that? I would love to talk to this guy to find out why he called Christ a liar. Why he denies the eyewitness testimony of thousands in the first century. Yes, I understand that some people may die for what they think is the truth. But are you telling me that all those Christians endured the torture they received and the death that came to them because they knew that it was not the truth? Really? You know, at the heart of every man's salvation is this issue of Christ's deity. If he is not fully God and fully man, folks, we are without hope. Without hope. Now, there were people that would later be known as Gnostics in that day. I mean, this was in the infancy of Gnosticism. That people were beginning to formulate their theories in that day, much like we have people who formulate theories today. That said, you know, we know that God is holy. How do you know that? He's eternal. How do we know that? Because he created. If there were any chink in his armor, he would not be holy. So we know that God is holy, okay? God is holy. So then how could a holy God create a world that is by nature evil? Well, he can't. And therefore, their theory went like this. He created lesser gods. Who created lesser gods? Who created lesser gods? Who created lesser gods? Until you got down to the demiurge. The demiurge. Who's so far down the line, he's evil and he's the one who created the universe. Boy, that's quite a theory, isn't it? And so they claimed that the totality of all these emanations that have come from God, the totality of all of those are the fullness of God. And they had a word for it. It was called pleroma. Pleroma. And Paul takes that word, pleroma, and he uses it to beat them like a stick. The totality of God, he said. The totality of God, the pleroma of God. You want to know about the pleroma of God? All his divine power, all his eternal attributes. The totality, the pleroma that you're talking about, dwells in Christ, who was, is, and will always be the icon, verse 15. The incarnate presence of him who is invisible. The creator of all things, visible and invisible. And why did it please the Lord to have all the fullness of his deity dwell in the incarnate Christ? Why is that? Which through him, 
that reconciliation is accomplished. He is the creator of all things, visible and invisible. So the width of his reconciliation is the width of his creation. All things, whether on earth or in heaven. So the question is, well, how? How is he going to do that? You see what the verse says? By the blood of his cross. By the blood of his cross? Gnostics believed that matter was evil. So the very idea that God, who is holy, would become man and die on a cross, that's sacrilegious. Now let me ask you, what militaristic religion was born out of this notion that Christ cannot be fully God? He can't be. What religion was born out of that? I'll give you a hint, 7th century A.D., culminated in 611. What religion was it? Islam. Now this pastor that convinced them that Christ was not God agrees with Islam. You know, the Lord promised back in Genesis 3 at the time of the fall that he'd send one from the seed of woman. The reconciler, the mediator, will not come from Adam's seed like the rest of mankind. Can't He can't come. He can't. He's got to be fully divine if he's going to satisfy the just wrath of a holy God. He has to be. And so being eternally divine, he will enter humanity, the Lord said, for the purpose of reconciling fallen men with their creator. And the process that he will use, in that process of crushing the serpent's head. The one who introduced all of this selfish, arrogant nonsense that is in rebellion to God and his word. The one who introduced that to the human race. When this mediator comes and crushes his head, the means that he uses will result in his heel being bruised. Right there in Genesis 3, the Lord is talking about the crucifixion. So the Lord reveals in his word. How, how, how does he give you life? Life is in the blood, isn't it? If your blood stops circulating through your body, you are dead. Life is in the blood. That's how he created us. So it's by the shedding of blood, he brings new life to those who are spiritually dead. And he will send a mediator who will accomplish this. Genesis 3.15. Now to prepare us for this, to prepare all mankind for this, when he calls a people out through whom he's going to speak to the world, he calls them out of their bondage in Egypt, right? He's taking them through the wilderness. What does he give them? He gives them his word. His word is a reflection of his holiness. But that's not all. Because when you read his word, what do you see? You see yourself as a sinner, right? Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. I'm a man of unclean lips, Isaiah said. And so what does the Lord give you? He also gives a tabernacle. A tabernacle made of skins, a 
tabernacle made of skins? Yes. Where he will manifest his glory inside that tabernacle made of skins. And in that area where he manifests his glory, it's called the Holy of Holies, he's going to separate that from where, from the rest of the tabernacle where men come by this huge curtain, nine to ten inches thick, 60 feet high. It's going to separate you from his holiness. And there's only going to be one, one who will go behind that curtain once a year. Once a year. It's called Yom Kippur. Yom, day. Kippur, covering. Day of covering. Day of atonement. And that mediator will offer a blood sacrifice on the mercy seat. What is the mercy seat? It's a solid gold top. Why solid gold? It reflects the holiness of God. Solid gold top to this coffin. Coffin's four and a half feet long, two and a half feet wide, two and a half feet deep. Now, why is it a coffin? What, what do you call the coffin? You call it an ark. It's called the Ark of the Covenant. Why is it called Ark of the Covenant? It's because that the, ta the, the tablets that have the commandments on them given to Moses, that were given to the people, that's what's placed inside this coffin. These are the laws that men have broken that leads to his death. The wages of sin are death. And so... The high priest did this in preparation for the blood sacrifice that will bring new life to dead men. This is what's going to bring us peace, going to reconcile us with our creator. And you know what this mediator does this for 1,500 years? 1,500 years. And how do we know that Christ is the fulfillment of that Old Testament picture? How do we know that? Well, at the time that he sheds his blood, what does he say? What's he say? This day, you shall be with me in paradise. Says that to a sinner. And then what's he say? It's finished. To tell us die, it is finished. It's accomplished. What the Lord promised in Genesis 3 has now been fulfilled at the cross. And since it's finished, into your hands I commend my spirit. And that 60 foot high veil that was 9 to 10 inches thick that separated sinful men from the manifested glory of God, it's ripped. Not by man. No, no, man didn't do that. Man couldn't do that. Josephus said that a team of horses couldn't do that. It is ripped from top to bottom. And the body of Christ is taken and buried. But on the third day, his spirit returns from the unseen abode of the dead to reunite with his physical flesh, giving visible proof to hundreds. He is the firstborn from the dead. Verse 18. That's why Christ said back in John, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. This word here in verse 20, to reconcile means to change back, to alter those who were once at enmity with God, to transform them back to a right relationship with him. 
And listen, this is not just you and me that need this. All of creation needs this. I mean, there is something wrong with this world in which we live, is there not? I mean, we see children who are being born with illnesses, deformities. Some of them never even make it out of the womb before people are slaughtering them. And they call that a good thing. Others who are trying to do what is right are told that they are bad people. They're bad. They're threatening. Those who call evil good are the ones who are being embraced by the culture. Why not? Why not? It's a fallen culture. Why wouldn't they embrace them? And we're seeing people be hostile with one another. And they're trying to make you feel guilty if you don't go along with their moral attack on our children. I received another prayer request this week. Attached was an article that revealed that Fisher Price, you know what Fisher Price is? The toy company, the ones that make the toys of trucks, the toy cars, the, the baby dolls, and so forth. They're producing a new series of toys promoting RuPaul's Drag Queen program. I don't watch regular televisions. I didn't even, I didn't even know such a thing existed. What is wrong with these people? And it's not just people. I mean, the whole creation is a mess. That's why rivers overflow their banks. That's why weeds are growing in my yard. Why? Cursed is the ground because of you, Adam. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. By the sweat of your brow you shall eat. Genesis 3, verses 17 and 19. You understand the world that we have is not the world the Lord created for Adam. The world we have is under the curse of sin. At the cross, Christ wore a crown of thorns. Why? The curse. Now, Paul speaks of the future glory of the earth in Romans 8. He says, it, it shall be set free from its bondage to corruption. That's good news. When? When will that happen? at the return of Christ. This one who died and rose again one day brings nature back to what the Lord created it to be. Peter said that when Christ returns, the heavens will melt with intense heat. He'll make new heavens and a new earth. So the earth as it is today is not what the Lord created it to be, nor is it what it ought to be, nor is it what it will be one day. You know, Isaac Watts said this very well back 300 years ago when he wrote a hymn based on Psalm 98. He said, no more let sins and sorrows grow, nor, thin, nor thorns invest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. As far as the curse is found. What comes next? Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. That wasn't written to celebrate the incarnate arrival of Christ. That was written to celebrate the parousia, 
the second coming of Christ. So what does Paul mean, whether on earth or in heaven? In heaven? What's he mean, in heaven? Do you realize there are some things in heaven as a result of the fall that will cease at the return of Christ? Why? Because of his work of reconciliation. Like what? Well, let me give you an example. In the book of Job, remember how Lucifer accuses him of loving the Lord only because of how the Lord has constantly blessed him? Revelation 12 says this demonic being is constantly making accusation, day and night, against those who love the Lord, constantly. As a matter of fact, the word Satan means adversary. You know what devil means? Where do you get the word devil? It means false accuser, slanderer. He's called the God of this age. Why? Because in the fallen condition of this world, he's the one who masquerades as an angel of light. He's the one who's behind calling those who do good evil. He's the one who's behind calling evil good. Revelation 12 reveals the truth about him, though. He is the serpent of old. The serpent of old. In Revelation 21, it says he will be absent when the new heaven and the new earth are created. Why is that? Well, our sins are covered by the blood of Christ. So this, this liar, this accuser, this slanderer will have no basis now to bring accusation against us. He's going to receive the just judgment he deserves, as will others who continue to follow him. Now, what about us? How can the Lord, how can the Lord be just with, with Lucifer, with, with Satan, with the fallen angels? How can he be just with, with some people and then be merciful with us. How can he do that without violating his holy character? Isn't that hypocritical? Isn't that rather arbitrary? I mean, how is that possible? This is why it pleased the Lord that all the fullness of his being, all of the essence of divinity, dwells in Christ. Why? Because through him, he is the one who reconciles us back to the creator. Watch this. Verse 21. And you who were, notice the past tense there, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deed. And this is a great verse, isn't it, for total depravity? And when I say total depravity, some people don't understand that. They, they think that what I'm saying is that we're utterly depraved. That's not true. No, no, no. We can always be worse than what we actually are. We can get worse. We're not as bad as maybe Charles Manson was. We're not as bad as Jeffrey Dahmer. We're not as bad as some of those people, okay? So what does total depravity mean? Total means that all, all of us, in our minds, in our will, in our emotion, the totality of who we are was infected by sin at the fall. 
and has come forth from Adam ever since. That's why you have it recorded for you, the reason that Cain killed Abel. This is the reason you have for you all of the stuff that went on at the Tower of Babel, right? It's true of every man. Our nature was such that we were hostile in our minds. We were arrogant in our attitudes. It's not just that we fell short every now and then. No, we were rebels. We were spiritual rebels. And who we were spiritually worked its way out in what we did physically. How we thought revealed our attitudes. How we thought, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. It reveals our values. It, it impacts our behavior. We were all helpless, all hopeless. See, we are not born with a free will. Everybody thinks, oh, we're born with a free will. No, you're not. Adam was created with a free will. But after Adam did what he did, everyone that was born of him has been born with that same selfish, arrogant, rebellious nature. All of us, we're slaves to fallen nature. We're not merely neutral. We're not merely ignorant. We were convinced through our spiritual blindness that we were always right. Not the Bible, not Christ. I'm right. And in the hostility of our minds, we want our way, not his. So when we hear that salvation is by the sovereign grace of God and not any good deeds that come forth from us, boy, that, that just didn't sit well with us. We had a lady who came to a course that I was teaching one time on the attributes of God. And when we got to this, this fact that man is enslaved to his sin, he's in bondage to it. It is therefore by God's sovereign grace that we are redeemed. See, if you understand your bondage, then the sovereign grace is really good news. It is fantastic news. Now, if you don't understand your bondage to sin, then you don't see yourself for the truth of who you really are. And so now you want to, you want to do something from yourself that goes with God's grace. And that's, that's, that was her position. You talk about the sovereign grace of God, man, she got angry. She got hostile right there in class. She said, this is not what I believe. This is not what I've always believed. I said, what church have you been going to? She said, I'm going back to it. I'm not staying here. Lady Huntington, I don't know if you recognize that name or not. Her name was actually Selena Shirley, but she married Theophilus, the Earl of Huntington, and so she became Lady Huntington. And the only reason I think that you might recognize that name is because she financially supported the First Great Awakening she was good friends with Isaac Watts, who wrote the 750 hymns that included, you know, When I Surveyed the Wondrous Cross and Joy to the World and so forth. She was good friends with Augustus Toplady, who wrote Rock of Ages and a number of other folks who, who wrote some wonderful hymns that we still embrace to this day, still use to, to worship our Lord. But she was also a financial supporter of George Whitfield. And so she invited her friend, the Duchess of Buckingham, to go hear Whitfield preach. And... 
her friend, the Duchess, said, no, 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 no. I've heard him before. And it's offensive to nobility to be told you're a wretch. Does that offend you too? The hostility within us doesn't like the truth about us. To another church in the Lycus Valley, Paul writes to the church there at Ephesus, you, you were dead in your sins. You were dead. You were sons of disobedience. You were living according to the passions of your flesh. You were carrying out the desires of your body. You were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You want to know the truth about you? That's it. And then he gets to verse 4. And I always like this verse in scripture, but. And there's our hope. But. But what? This is all true about me, but what? God being rich in mercy. When you were dead in your sins, he made you alive together with Christ. You know, you can't appreciate the good news of the gospel till you understand the bad news that is the truth about you. To the Colossian church, he says, and here's the process the Lord used for our reconciliation. Verse 22, he has now reconciled, how? In his body of flesh. Why do you think he put that in there? In his body of flesh. Did you hear that, Gnostics? He's fully man. Here's the process of reconciliation. In his body of flesh, by his death. How did Adam infect the human race with sin? How did he do it? His rebellion led him to eat from a tree. Was there anything wrong with the tree? No, there wasn't anything wrong with the tree. It was made by a holy God. Was there anything wrong with the fruit on the tree? No, it was very good fruit. Was it good for you? Yes, it was good for you. So why couldn't he eat from that tree? Because the Lord told him not to. The God who created him told him, don't do it. The responsibility of man being created in God's image is based on God's sovereignty. Does the Lord have to give him a reason for why he says that one tree you will not eat from? See, the Lord knew what Adam was going to do before Adam did it. Before the foundations of the earth. If you go back and read Ephesians 1, before the foundations of the earth, he chose us in Christ. He knew what Adam was going to do. He knew about the fallen race. He knew how he was going to redeem man for his glory for all eternity. So he says, don't you eat from it. I don't have to tell you why, but don't you eat from it. And then the Lord says in Deuteronomy 21, after he has called out his people from their bondage to sin, after he's given them his law, after he's given them the tabernacle, they're about to enter into the promised land. And in Deuteronomy 21, he says, if a man commits a crime punishable by death, what's crime? Crime is when you break a law that was given by the holiness of God. 
and it is so heinous. He goes all the way back to Genesis 9 on this. You shed man's blood, your blood will be shed. So what do you do? You hang him on a tree. Why? Because everybody hanging on a tree is cursed by God. Paul said to the Galatians, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. It is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Acts 10, verse 39, they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. That's how they talked about the crucifixion. On a tree. Goes all the way back to the garden. This is the process. Peter put it this way. He bore our sins in his body on the tree. Why? That we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. 1 Peter 2.24 You know, Isaiah, um, the Lord enabled him to accurately predict the fall of the southern kingdom to Babylon. And it was dark, dark days in, back then. I mean, they were getting ready to head into the Babylonian captivity and, and Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. The temple is going to be destroyed. The walls are going to be destroyed. I mean, they're going to be held captive there for 70 years. It is not a good time in Israel's history. And so the Lord enables Isaiah to, to speak to this. And... Um, and as Isaiah is speaking to them about this, he talks to them, he tries to give them hope by speaking about the, the suffering servant, the mediator, the one who will come to deliver them, who will reconcile them. And he says this 700 years before the cross, 700 years before the cross. He writes, he'll be led like a lamb to the slaughter. He'll be pierced for our transgressions. He'll be crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace will be upon him. By his wounds we are healed. He will justify many by bearing their iniquities. And what was the purpose for all of that? He tells you in verse 22, doesn't he? Look what he says. He has now reconciled us in his body of flesh by his death. Why? In order to. There's your purpose statement. Don't miss this. In order to. Why? Present you. Who's the you? Back in verse 21. You who were alienated. You who were hostile in mind. You who were doing evil deeds. Will present you holy, blameless, and above reproach before him who is holy. Your past is this. You were alienated. You were hostile. You were engaged in evil. But now, here's your present. You are reconciled by his death in order to, and here's the purpose that describes your future, in order to present you wholly blameless and above reproach before him. In other words, Christ is going to say, Lord, these are the ones you gave me. These are the ones for whom I died. These are the ones whose sins are covered by my blood. These are the ones reconciled by my atoning death. These are the ones redeemed for your glory. These are the ones. 
By his death we are made presentable. Not dressed in the filthy rags of our self-righteousness or the putridness of our sins. No, we are presented to the Lord without sin. How is that possible? As Paul told the church at Corinth, for our sake he made him to be sin. Him who had no sin, he made him to be sin so that in him, in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's how it is. How can you tell if a person then is really in him? Born again in Christ. How can you tell? He tells you in verse 23. Here's how you can recognize them. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. In other words, those who are in Christ are going to be orthodox. They're going to be constantly seeking and embracing truth. They're not going to stand up in class and go, that's not what I believe. I don't, I don't agree with the Bible. No, I come under the authority of the Bible. Why? Because it is God's word. It's his good news. That's who I am in Christ. I'm going to be living an increasingly transformed life. As I'm going from who I once was to who I now am in Christ. It's a long journey, but a necessary one. Because all whom the Lord justifies in Christ by his death, he will sanctify in his word by his spirit. So whenever I see lingering faults in my life, and you see them too, don't you? Trust me, I hate it more than you do. I hate it. I understand why Paul said, oh, wretched man that I am. I agree, Paul. I agree. Why? Well, the DNA of our new birth in Christ is continually producing a family resemblance. It's called the sanctification process. And you know what's frustrating for me as a pastor? Is I don't fully and completely look like Christ yet. And I hate it. But his word is authoritative in my life. It's just that I haven't fully arrived in this sanctifying process. And that's the reason that I have to read my Bible daily. I have to. That's the reason I repent. I want to. That's the reason I pray. It's not to be saved. Christ does that. It's because I want to be more like him. Why? Because that's the whole reason for which I have been redeemed. It's for his glory, right? That's who I am in Christ. You know, Judas had everybody fooled for three years. I don't want to be like Judas, do you? Do you want to be like Judas? Self-righteous, religious, hypocrite. A fake, a phony. So what are we to do? Well, the first thing he says is you never surrender the hope that you have in the finished work of Christ. Never surrender that. Never, 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 never. The content of the gospel in Paul's day was complete. And he said, this message did not originate with me. The Lord made me a minister of it. I didn't want to become a Christian. He called me. He converted me. He made me a minister of the gospel. 
So you see, reconciliation is very personal. Very personal. We don't need to pass through any kind of spiritual slinky to get to God. The fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Christ for all eternity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit are one. One in essence. Distinct in function, but one in essence. That's why Christ says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That's why he said, when I leave, I will send to you the spirit of truth. I'll be with you to the end of the age. How? By the sending of the spirit. So it pleased the Lord for the pleroma. You want to use a good Gnostic term there? It pleased him for the fullness of our creator to dwell in Christ. That he might reconcile all his creation on earth and in heaven. This is what the Lord foreordained from the beginning, that you, you who were once alienated, you who were hostile in mind, you who were engaged in evil deeds, he reconciles you. How? In his incarnate flesh. By his death. For this purpose. To present you holy, blameless, above reproach, he satisfies the just wrath that your sin deserves. So when you're born again in him, by the grace of God, through faith in him, where you trust him, you come under his authority. You give proof. You give proof that that has happened. If indeed you continue in the faith. I'd like to say this to that pastor. You're a Judas. You're a Gnostic. You're a humanist. You agree with Islam. But you do not agree with Christ. The reason that they are no longer believing in Christ is because he is now leading them into lies. That's not you. In a world filled with hate, you're going to be a people of love. In a world filled with immorality, you're going to be people of holiness, aren't you? In a world full of error, you're going to be people of truth. In a world filled with fear and despair, you're going to be a people of hope. Why? Why will you do that? Well, you only do that if, if you're a new creation in Christ. Are you? Does this describe you? If you have any questions, you can go to the Connect table, or as Spurgeon used to say, I'll be glad to meet with you in my study. I already have one couple coming this week, had another family speak with me about it this morning. I also have time for you. I always have time for you. I'll be glad to meet with you. Stay with me as we close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this magnificent gospel. Thank you, Lord, for how you have orchestrated our redemption for your glory. Thank you, Lord. 
thank you for what you did for us while we were dead in our sins. While we were yet sinners. Father, we ask that the proof of our conversion always be evident. And how we continue in the orthodoxy of our faith. Stable and steadfast. Never shifting from the hope that you have given us in Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.